bringing to you the stories that have never been told, the news that has yet to unfold, and the voices you have not heard. This is the Caribbean Cannabis Channel, where we meditate and educate on all things ganja within the Caribbean region, with your host, Prophet Nati. Yo, 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 peace and love, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Caribbean Cannabis Channel. And as always, we always offer exciting conversations. We always have engaging and exciting guests contributing for different experiences, their own personal experiences. Today, I have a pleasure of having a guest that is holding up one of the main pillars in the cannabis community because without our growers, without our farmers, without our agricultural experts, the cannabis industry would not move anywhere. So... I want to welcome our guest for today, Ray, who's out in the Midwest in the US of A. He's going to share with us some of his experiences, some of his tips and lessons, pitfalls that persons could probably avoid. So I definitely think whether you are a personal grower yourself, you're just interested in agricultural practices, I think you have a lot to learn from this episode. So sit back as we meditate and we educate. So let's jump into it. Ray, how are you doing today, Dr. Tau, I guess? Um, yes, thank you. Thank you. I'm doing fine. Thank you for having me. How are you doing? So? You're pretty good out there, man. You're pretty good. So you're just telling me about the, the rain up in yes. the Midwest. Uh, we're getting rain in the Caribbean here as well. So we do have something similar happening. Uh, yes, we, we had several days of rain. This is a, a time of year that's a rain season for us. Um, Unfortunately, with this time of year, the rain is associated with cooler temps. Um, the winds uh, can be increasing with some rainstorms, but uh, the cool temperatures and the moisture um, can be challenging for cultivation uh, this this late in the season. Where uh, here in the North Woods, most of the thing, most of the trees. Um, are starting to go dormant. Um, a lot of the uh, underbrush is starting to die off, and you know, so there's uh, it's harder to thrive in this time of year. Okay, uh, I I want to find out more about that because I know in certain parts of the the world or different regions, persons grow according to the climate. So how does growing in the climate of the um the Midwest? vary based on some other places that you may know? Um, well, so we have uh, four seasons. So we have, um, uh, you know, the spring, summer, winter, uh, fall and winter. And with that, um, the growth season is short, um, uh, especially in the, in the north woods, in the northern parts uh, of the Midwest versus in the southern uh, end of the Midwest. Um, so, so we have different challenges, um, to make it through a short season, um, uh, from, from being warm enough to get planted into the ground to being, um, staying warm enough to finish harvest in, in, in some of your late season, um, crops that one may plant. Um, so those are the challenges with the varying of the weather. I mean, uh, heat, we get heat. We've been, this year was, this season was uh, a little strange. I mean, they, they seem to be um, 
you know, that way sometimes more often uh, lately. I don't know. I can't say for sure, but, you know, there's challenges every year. This year we had a very wet season to begin with, mm -hmm. with the snow mm -hmm. melts, with the rains, and it was hard to get planted into the ground um, because of oversaturation, because of cool temps yet. Um, um, and then with the short season, um, we run into challenges of whether or not we get enough rain. Um, in in uh, the, the beginning of summer, we had uh, drought pretty much conditions. Um, we, we did get then some rain and, and it made things well. And then, and then August was so-so. And then just this last month, September, um, we had more drought conditions most of the month. I mean, it was only this last five days where we wow. got uh, several inches um, to, to get us kind of caught back up. But so those are the challenges. Now with, with winter, it's just around the corner. The fall, the fall will be in and out. Fall has just barely started on the calendar, but the mm -hmm. leaves have been falling and changing. And, and in a matter of, of uh, four to six weeks, we'll see our first snowfall. So it's challenging. can be very dense. Wow. So I'm guessing those climates, those issues will more so affect those who are growing outdoors. How... How do you adapt if you are not an indoor grower in those particular situations? Uh, you said if you're if you're not an indoor grower. Yeah, if you're if you're if you're you're only that, outdoor, yeah. okay. you haven't ventured into the outdoor growing. I said like, yes. how could someone yes. prevent or mitigate a lot of those issues from damaging their crops or unsuccessful harvests? Well, well. Um, I would I would have to say there's there's probably several that one can consider and and, and put into uh, effect. Um, let's let's deal with uh, Mother Nature and the bug pressure because that right there can devastate a crop. Um, as far as you know, your sap sucking bugs and your bugs that chew um, on your on your on your crops. So what one can do is one can try to um, plant companion plants with your crops that are going to be plants that um, de basically deter the, the pests or mm -hmm. and um, even, even sometimes more beneficial, the ones that actually attract the predator bugs that are, you want them close by. So when the, when the pests do come in, your predator bugs are already close by and can get right on top of, of, of keeping guard, so to, so to speak. Um, so, so dealing with your uh, indigenous or, or your environment, your natural bug pressures that come, you know, and that, and that can vary. Sometimes uh, you see sometimes that the aphids have a lot of pressure uh, and they don't want to go away and they keep going through cycles. And so it's hard to get rid of, mm -hmm. um, and, and it could be because of what the surrounding crops in the fields are planted with the farmers have rotated crops. And so they may have brought corn closer, or they may have bought beans closer and those bring in different types of, of bug pressure closer to, to one another's farms, no matter who, to each another farm. It could be different, uh, farms within, let's say, um, such a range, so many miles, um, 
as these farmers shift their crops and as we, um, you know, whether it's corn, whether it's beans, you bring in different bugs. So just being aware of, of what bugs you have to deal with and then planting mm -hmm. full plants to, to bring in uh, predators and then planting trap plants to keep maybe those, those bugs that uh, attract a certain plants planting them more away from your crops to draw them away. So there's dealing with bugs, um, that's big. Dealing with the elements, wind, you know, you can do things like wind blocks. Mm -hmm. I, I, I wanna get more into that with planting actually perhaps bushes or things of that nature to, if you have a strong wind from say the north. Uh, in my case, we, we, we get the strong winds from the west and from the north. And, and they can be brutal, um, especially later in the season when they, uh, bringing in cooler tippers. Yeah, so, you know, I, I think one of the one of the big ones that a person has to consider, and it's important, is what genetics you plant. So you may have genetics that um, can handle better pressure, um, ones that are more resistant to maybe bug pressure or resistance to in my situation with late in the season trying to finish a crop, you've got rain, you've got cold temperatures, and that's going to cause things to mold. Um, so you want to maybe look for uh, genetics that have resistance to mold. And, and perhaps in my, in my situation, I get a lot of winds, and, and I'm grateful for that because with, with the cold temperatures, with the with the humidity, or even with the moisture, the rains, the winds are going to help dry things off, so that way it's less chance of mold setting in. But um, your best, your best case is going to be run, uh, growing, cultivating, working with a genetic that maybe has better resistance. Okay, that I, so, not to interrupt you, but I want to find out more about choosing genetics, right? Because I remember I last year I visited a farm. And they were variant genetics that they had outdoors. But one of the main reasons why they said they placed, um, especially like seedlings or young plants outside, is so that they could be started train um, to, to basically strengthen against the wind so they become more resilient. Yes. If you don't have um, yes. like genetics that are already designed to handle those strong winds, could you like change? through trial and error, another genetic into becoming more wind resilient? Um, I, I think there's um, some things you can do to strengthen the plant, whether it's giving it uh, just more health and, and making it stronger that way, um, mm -hmm. or, or and, I would say and, not or, but and, um, raising them there in their environment, um, acclimating them and letting them get faced with those elements. However, depending on your crops you're growing, um, if these are, uh, if these are fruit bearing plants that put on weight as they fruit and as they further their fruiting and, and go to their finishing, they put on more and more and more weight even sometimes the strongest plants that normally could handle a lot in the most when they have put on heavy fruits and then you get some rains that adds to that weight 
and then you get some winds and the winds can vary to little to a lot um just like the rain can vary to a little or a lot you start adding all these things and even some of the strongest plants um can take a punt can take a punishment from mother nature um but Getting back to your question specifically, I do think that there is uh, some value into raising young plants as early as you can into the elements to get them to strengthen up and get somewhat, as you say, trained for what's ahead. At the same time, having experience, adding the weight of the fruits as they mature, adding rains that are going to come in and saturate and put on weight, adding some winds, you could lose, I mean, you could lose everything at any point in a hailstorm. You could lose some bad winds to come through and wipe some things out. But as your plants fruit and they become heavy and these elements mm-hmm. um, start getting more into play and, and so, you know, so trellising is probably one of the best things I've found now. Aside from putting out some plants that have good structure, good that can that are bred for holding up, because there are differences. There's, mm-hmm. there's there's plants that because of my land, my area, my terroir, I would not try to even plant because they would take. If your environment is mild, you're you're maybe you have uh, more opportunity for other 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 crops that you can grow but when you have conditions that are a little more on the hard and brutal side you're going to try to mainly try to pick for things that are going to work better for you instead of uh maybe trying to train plants to acclimate i mean there's value in what your what your question is as far as can can it play a role yes but um if you can the best thing to do is not Try to be, uh, don't try to reinvent the wheel. Go with something that's known to work if you can. So. Okay, that, that that's smart. Yeah, I, th- I think a lot of the time we, we, we try to be, we are human. So we try to bring out our creativity or we try to do something new and different. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But Absolutely. not all the time, as you rightfully said, we need to reinvent the wheel. So from, from that what you just explained in terms of mitigating against the damages that could occur to your plant based on different elements um, around you. From your own experience, what are some of the favorite strains or the cultivars that you grew and you saw like worked outdoors for, for you? Well, um, so I have to be um, upfront and let you say that my experience is limited with my, my outdoor my outdoor cultivation is limited. Um, I have more experience growing indoor. However, that has been useful for me because I've gotten the chance to see the different plants and how they hold their structures and hold up weight. And, and, and I like to put hands on them too. Um, mm-hmm. What I am seeing from this season, you know, I have to, I have to, be choosy because I only have a short span to finish my crops. So with that being said, the faster finishing plants in, in from what my experience has been 
I've seen uh, the the structure of the plant is more su supportive, like like branching that's this way versus versus bowed versus coming out. Okay. Allowing a because it allows a different load. It allows a different uh, mm -hmm. uh, a different load capability on the on the on on some plants uh, more than others. Obviously, um, I've I've seen some variances, but um, one of the things that I look for, if I'm able to make a choice, which is what I like to do, is that is I like to look for uh, where the where the branching connects to the main branch and then also to laterals to the to the to the side branches. Sometimes the plants you'll find have a big fat knuckle. Uh, not all plants do that. I, I don't, it's, it's, um, when you see it, it stands out because most plants don't, but they got a big fat knuckle and I've seen those plants to generally, yeah, they can hold a little bit, in my opinion, more, more weight. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it, it always goes back to the health of the plant because you can have a plant that's known to do wood and if it's not healthy, it's got a better chance of failing for you structurally it's it's always it's always um it's trial and error until you find out which one that is and then being a, a cultivator you have to then decide well then that's the one i'm going to stay with i'm not going to try other things and um you know so we we usually like to grow different um fruits we try to grow different fruits instead of just one fruit for the most part um, when it's when it's for just your 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 small farm at least for myself I speak I like to have a little variety but you know when you when you find the ones that that do well then you try to hang on to them or else make a notation mm -hmm. of what seed to grow again so coming from outdoors are we switching it into indoors now because I, I think especially with climate change, um, the varying elements of outdoors. I think a lot of persons as well now opting for indoor growing. So how how has indoor growing been um for you from from the beginning to to now? I know that's uh, that probably is a, a lengthy time period, but I know there's some things we always start off with. Um and looking at it which what we are now. Yep. Nope, that's a fair question. Um um, in a nutshell, and you know, we 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 all have to start somewhere. Where I started, mm -hmm. and a lot of people probably can relate, is I got plastic pots, I got bagged soil, I got bottled nutrients, and um, you know, I I put a a little small closet grow. You know, I mean, it was I had a little more than a closet, but um, a small room, nothing. Nothing big, um, and planted a seed um, along the way. And beforehand, I was already trying to learn um, from other people, from from other information on the internet, um, to at least have a starting point. But um, mm -hmm. I started growing indoor in plastic pots in bag soil with um, bottled nutrients. Um, and to be honest with you, I was living in the city on, on a city, um, 
a public water. So I mean, a lot of chemicals in the water to clean up the water. Um, you know, I mean, there's there was I I used a, a RO system to help purify that water, but I mean, you know, it was plugged into public city water that was chlorinated heavily. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but so that's where I started. And, um, you know, I, I'd have to say that um, in doing research and trying to learn about just cultivating, I picked up on composting and the importance of composting to, to, to make your um, own dirt. Um, of course, that comes with, well, then what you compost and then, you know, does it, does it help to compost foods that are full of chemicals from the market? Um, so you have to be, so then I started learning about how to be selective of what to compost and then sourcing um, my food so that, and it was kind of so that my soil would be healthier, but in turn, it was helping me to be healthier by going with um, just maybe better foods. So true in, for, in for me, yeah, yeah, indirectly. Um, um, my main thoughts though was so that I could grow crops that were clean for myself. Um, that that opened up to just being more mindful of cultivating clean and even getting back to um, maybe trying to be more sustainable instead of shopping other places for foods that I could grow on my own, um, whether even indoor or outdoor. So I started in a, in a small space with commercial products, soil, um, nutrients, and started to cultivate, um, I learned that it would take me about 10 months to a year if I started composting now to maybe have some dirt that I could add to the store-bought commercial bag soil that I had started with. Um, mm-hmm. So that, and that's where, that's where things um, kind of, Really, I, I would have to say that was the beginning, even though it wasn't the beginning. That was the beginning because I seen a whole new light of what the of expressions. I seen a whole new light of expressions that I wasn't seeing um, when I grew with bag soil versus growing with a compost that I was blending into compost. my soil. Yeah, I was I was adding nutrients. Okay, I, I want the. Um, Composting, right? You made mention yes. of ten months to a year to properly, like, have material to to either mix or use on its own. So, is it that you never use compost soil alone, or you always mix your compost with um bag soil? Um. So for for me, um, it actually went hand in hand with. When, when I was in the beginning, now we're talking, see, and, and I bring up compost mm-hmm. because I think anybody that's um, cultivating, anybody that's growing for period, whether it's for themselves or someone else, but especially if it's for yourself and your close people, um, anybody that's cultivating 
root care fix, green beans, strawberries, whatever fruiting crops you're growing and consuming, they should be composting. They should be composting because it, it's um, it's it's full circle. I mean, it's recycling. It's taking what we would normally waste and it's turning it into dirt that we can utilize and make produce some healthy fruits. Um, and so that's why I bring it up because I think it's important. I think anybody that's considering planting a seed should already have had started composting or begin. Because even if they are going to buy okay. bag soil initially, they eventually can start adding their compost to what they started with their base. And for me, what I did, and this is what I, as I learned, I started taking my used pots that I ran a crop out of, blending it with more new bag soil, a portion, and then adding a portion of compost that I made, cold, a cold aged compost. That's why I say 10 months to a year. This is um, uh, just a cold aged compost. I'm turning and turning and adding foods and carbons. So um, basically waste turning it into something like utilize but so that was that were my original methods i thought i was doing something good and i think i mean i think i was i started seeing improvements in my in my uh, fruiting plants but um eventually i i learned that there's more value into not tearing up my garden beds um not disturbing the root zones to harvest my plants at the base and leave the roots in place um, so that they could compost and feed the soil so that the so that any type of microbiology that may have colonized can stay colonized and not be disturbed um, and I started learning the value by listening to other people and 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 looking mm -hmm. at um, you know, I mean, it makes sense. If someone come tear up my house, I got to rebuild it. Um, if you leave the ground undisturbed, that's true. Um, the roots that remain, see, the roots that you that grew your your fruiting plant hold value, hold nutrients. So if they can remain in that ground and compost, uh, they can feed the microbes that are that are living there, and, and that microbes stay undisturbed, and they don't have. Wow. To, okay. I. You know. So. So that was I never considered that, that before. Yeah, they, they they call it uh in the the gardeners call it no, no till okay, just to not disturb soil. Um so eventually when I left plastic pots and went into garden beds, you know, dealing with the indoor situation, um I built my beds and I left them alone and I have a technique to building them from the ground up. Um, but, um, I don't disturb the soil, you know, I, I don't disturb the soil. Um, and I try to feed it, uh, eventually I'm, and I started hearing about the value of, uh, growing cover crops to, um, a living mulch, basically not, not so much a cover crop as far as I'm concerned, cover crops are crops that you alternate, um, just the living mulch, just the planting a wild flower seed and some beans and things of that nature that you can allow them to grow, to flower, and then to actually chop them and drop them 
and let them like a forest floor um, decompose right back into dirt so that you're giving some organic matter you're feeding the microbes that are that are living in that dirt mm-hmm. in the soil so those are some of the things that I started to transition into do as, as far as practices for my for my soil beds um, you know I see amazing things that can happen in indoor beds um, as far as you know it's you're, you're, you're taking control of the environment and there can be some nice uh, fruits that are uh, cultivated but um, at the end of the day even though the elements can be brutal um, they definitely can be challenging um, but I think the better fruiting option is to grow under the sun because of the quality of you can you can also grow some pretty full, bad full spectrum. fruits out under the sun yeah yeah i you know i i have to admit there's been times i grew poor quality fruits under the sun as well so i mean there's that's not the it's not just <laughs> the answer but it's a big it's the biggest part i think if i could get the sun spectrum uh in the indoor environment controlled you know be be nailing it so, better to, to follow have, up with that uh, with that question in terms of in terms of using outdoors, right? You, you said if you if you could, you would prefer um, outdoors if you have the access to the sun um, year round, like how we probably would have. But seeing as how you you probably primarily grow indoors, what's the closest full spectrum light um, that you use indoors that's closest to the sun? Oh, geez. Um, Probably, probably not such. A, I don't have probably such a thing. <laughs> well, I blend just a full spectrum LED, some Samsungs. Um, they're they're actually um, a little bit older boards that are discontinued. Um, so I don't I don't know if um, you know. There's some benefit. There's some white uh, light and some um, blue light and some. I think there's even some green on them boards. But um, I blend the HBS. Um, it, it brings heat to the equation of the environment, but um, the spectrum that I think it adds is worth trying to um, deal with the heat that it that it creates. Um, it's not a lot of heat. You, you move your if you move your air and exchange it, you, you, it's not a big worry. But you know, the biggest thing it's a it's an energy draw. So at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess my, you know, over the years, my views on growing indoor has changed. Um, my my passion is still there. Really? Um, but, yeah, but, I, you know, just, um, I would feel better if I had um, my own sustainable energy, like a solar or wind, so that I wasn't uh, drawing energy and, and, you know, then it's... Uh, just rather be more sustainable if I was going to like continue that way. It's something I've been thinking about um, over the years. It'd be a, a goal for me. But um, yeah, not to get off um, something too much. But um, yeah, I, I I like I well you know at the end of the day I I like the quality of the resin. I like the quality of my fruits from outdoors versus. 
um, indoor cultivation, and no matter what it is growing. Yeah, I've, I've heard a, a couple growers actually continue to refer to that. Like they they love the accessibility and the convenience of indoor, but they if they could, they would always go with outdoor if they get the opportunity. And when that that kind of goes back to the organic, the sustainable grow. Uh, it's always better to do so in its natural element because plants originally grow outside, grow under the sun, grow down to the earth. I, I, so I think that everybody in time eventually go, goes back to outdoor growing or loves the effect that the plant gets in, in outdoor compared to indoor. Um, I would have to agree. And then to see um, the difference in, the, in its health the, the plant's health, um, regardless of what seeds you plant. Um, and, and I'm sure that's associated to being in uh, the, the ground and being under the sun. So we can do a good job um, trying to replicate. Yeah, we, we do try to replicate um, the sun. We try to replicate the natural growing states in our controlled environment. Because of, of obvious reasons, as we outlined before, the different pests that may come about, elements, the wind, pollen from neighboring farms. There's so many other things to consider outdoor than indoor. But something that I want to, to touch on, because we were just discussing it in terms of the use of compost and the quality of what you are feeding your plants. Uh, if for some reason someone isn't able to compost the um, material that they are eating what is the next best alternative or st- the starting point of probably liquid nutrients you should look for um, when you are growing one of the things that and i, I guess you know it, it it might go hand in hand with composting because you can make your own you can make your own liquid fertilizers too from from basically well Actually, it would it would be a, a little bit easier, um, but at the same time, it's see. Here's the thing: not only do you have to collect your materials for making compost or making your own liquid fertilizer, you still got to have space for them. So you still got to have space for a compost bin, or mm. you still got to have space for a barrel if you want to make your own, or a bucket if you want to make your own fertilizer. But if you can't compost, there you can also make your own fertilizers if that that's i mean that's what i that's my answer because i i don't go to i don't buy liquid fertilizers excuse me i don't buy bottled um commercial fertilizers anymore and so a person's first option might be if they can't have compost that they're going to want to buy fertilizers um and that's fair enough you're going to need something the plant your 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 crops can sometimes if it's a heavy feeding plant crop it's a heavy feeding fruiting plant it's compost is not going to be enough um you're going to have to give them Mm. you're going to have to give that soil that plant empty that plant you have to try to nutrient aside from composting i make my own fertilizer it's it's referred to as jadam jlf jadam liquid fertilizer and I make it from wildflower, right from my surrounding environment, from right outside, um, from the from the different 
any type wild, of flowers or the specific flowers that you use? Well, so, you know, um, you're going to have a fertilizer that you use for vegetative stage. And then you're going to have a fertilizer that you use for your flowering stage. So to make your veg mm -hmm. liquid fertilizer, you're going to want to collect plants that are in a vegetative stage. Even long clippings will provide some nitrogen when um, it's, it's referred to as not a ferment. It's an actual uh, to putrefy, to, to basically rot, to compost. And, and, and there's it involves a container with some water and then the plant material. And then you need some leaf mold. Um, if you can't find actual leaf mold, you can use indigenous soil. You can use a little bit of soil off the top surface, say from under a tree and maybe under some leaves. That's where you usually find your leaf mold is going to be under some leaves, but your ground's got to have moisture. Your, your, your leaf's got to have some moisture for that mold to be present. A lot of times you're going to have maybe very low amount of leaves or none, or maybe the leaves are dry, so there's no leaf mold, but you just remove those leaves, or if there mm -hmm. are none, you just go for that first top inch or so of some soil. But you're going to grab that soil, indigenous soil or the leaf mold, putting it in your barrel or your five-gallon bucket with some flowers, wildflowers, or wild plants depending on if you're making a vegetative fertilizer or a, or a flowering fertilizer, um, you know, it's, it's good to make both. But your vegetation and your wildflowers may be very different than what I have available. So mine are going to work just as good as yours. That's true. You're just going to be selective and find ones that apply. So if you're going to be making a vegetative fertilizer, you're going for your wildflowers and plants and grasses that are in vegetative stage. And plants obviously need, that's going to provide nitrogen mainly. But those plants also have other nutrient values, maybe not as much. But then that's where you can be more creative and you can start to customize your own fertilizer you make by adding other plants that might provide more potassium, more phosphorus, or more magnesium, or all of the above. Um, when you get a little more experienced mm -hmm. in using it, you can even blend your vegetative with your bloom, with your flowering fertilizer to get a more balanced blend that can provide nutrient to your to your to your garden. Um, and it takes time, you know. There's it takes time. It takes practice. It's trial and error. Eventually, you get um, out of, away from pulling money out of your wallet to buy a bottle of nutrients, and you're away from uh, any possibility. Um, you know, you're you're away from the less chance of getting bad stuff and that comes with bottle of nutrients. Now, let's back up a little bit. Just like your compost, you have to be selective of where you're getting. Your, your starting material from. So, you know, you don't want contaminated material. Same thing with your making your fertilizer, uh, your liquid fertilizer. You don't want to be using gardens that have been sprayed with pesticides or things of that nature. Um, so, you know, you have to be mm -hmm. selective with your inputs to make sure your inputs are clean as well as starting point. But um, 
I think for uh, another way to provide nutrients to your plant, to your garden, is, is a good practice is if you have the space, because again, you have to you may have a barrel and part of the process is gonna bring a little order, a little smell. More than a little. Let me not be real light about this. It's gonna <laughs> so you, you're gonna wanna be able to provide yeah. a space outdoor. <laughs> yeah. So um so yeah. but but I'll tell you, um, you know, there is there is one more thing. It's real simple. A person can do research. I mm-hmm. I learned by doing research, but there's a there's an old school technique. It's called urine cycling. Um, again, you have to have urine cycling. clean urine cycling. Um, it involves urine, and it involves a process that's not <laughs> yes. very hard. Again. Yeah, and and uh, you know if you if most of these bottle fertilizers, um, you'd be surprised what's in them. So if you can um, provide a clean urine, at least you know your starting material. Um, you know that doesn't come right away. That takes a little practice. There's dilution. Uh, there's there's it has to be diluted, or you'll burn your plants. You can kill a whole. You can kill a whole garden if you overpower it um, with any nutrient, but it's, um, but yeah, that's, mm-hmm. so that's maybe a whole different, uh, something to talk about at a different time, but um, there's natural ways. And then I guess that was my point. There's natural ways. There's organic ways. There's ways that are clean. These are, these are old, these are old techniques. This is not something new. These are the way. Um, what do you think they were using before bottled nutrients and, and, and bag soil? Oh, you know. Yeah. Um, no, you're you're right. Because I, I, I actually remember, not even related to cannabis, but just overall growing or plants. A lot of times when you're growing up and you want to, you want to take a leak, um, somebody may tell you to yeah. go on and... Um, urine urinate by a plant or urinate by a tree because you're giving it back nutrients and uh, you, you never really consider it like that but as you venture into art, actual agriculture and you learn different techniques whether it be an old technique or a new technique you see the similarities or you see where the the idea from something came came from and it's always interesting learning about the different techniques about growing and what you need to put into a plant and how you need to care for a plant because a lot of the times many people think it's just okay i'm going to throw a seed into the soil i'm going to add water add light and that's about it but there's so many different things you have to consider when you are cultivating especially for yourself or if you are cultivating for others you begin to think about what's the best practice what's the most healthy way sustainable way for for you to grow and for you to consume these plants that you are growing whether it be cannabis strawberries or any other type of of crop really and truly so it's always amazing to hear experience from actual farmers cultivators because you now could apply these own practices in your own garden to see changes in your plants for the better obviously but as it as you mentioned it does come with trial and error a lot of the time so it's all about being patient while you are adding new practices in 
to your already existing regime. Very true. Absolutely. And if you don't have the patience to uh, try new things or you don't have the, um, if you can't accept failure, you know, because um, you, you're going to have to try and try again. And some people maybe uh, run into uh, worse issues or, or issues right away or issues later, but they all exist. Um, even indoor, you, you know, you're going to have bugs. Um, you're going to have mold. Um, you have to, you know, as once you have an indoor situation dialed in, it can be very successful. However, um, you know, outdoor has a, as a natural air exchange and natural airflow. And, and, and that's something that you don't have indoor. So people, it's more than just go ahead and planting a seed and watering it and providing a little light. Um, you know, there's temperatures, there's humidities, there's air flows. And then, you know, that's just one thing, you know, um, even, even if you had that dialed in, you overwater it and you can cause a lot of problems. So there's, there's not a lot, I mean, there's a lot to talk about in a short time. Um, but what's great is, is there's a lot of information available mm -hmm. out there. And there is a lot of people willing to share that information that's true. too. So um, that's, that's, a, that's a great thing to have access to information. So where, where would you advise people to, to go to um, if they are looking to gain more knowledge about growing cannabis? Specifically, I've, I've learned a lot from the internet, but there's a lot out there that can mislead you. Um, for me, it took some time to do a lot of listening to who I can trust after trying some things of my own. Um, there's one person that stands out to me. His, uh, he's, he's Helpful Harry. Um, he's on Instagram and he's all, he's actually mm, more okay. on cannabinoid education. Um, but he also teaches a lot of different growing, um, organic growing and he doesn't necessarily have uh, a podcast he just goes live a lot and he used he used to have a a, a sunday uh education and he does do the uh now and again on future cannabis project cannabinoid education but i learned a lot from watching his experiences and, and putting a piece with mine there was a lot of things i was already doing that i didn't realize i was doing that he was teaching others through just spreading knowledge. And so it, mm -hmm. uh, things started clicking more. But um, Future Cannabis uh, Project, the channel on YouTube, uh, they have a lot of good um, education, a good knowledge and a good um, interviews and podcasts, different shows going on um, dealing with the community, the, the cannabis culture mainly. Um, you know, but... Um, end of the day, you got to be willing to, to, to put your boots on and put your gloves on and, and just get in the dirt, um, dig in. So, you know, if you don't take those, um, if, if you don't take the steps to try new things like composting, that's a starter. I, I, I can't push that one enough. If you don't have a situation, make one. If you don't have a, a place to put a five gallon bucket with a lid and and give it some time to, to put comp the, uh, things to compost and turn it. And, you know, it, um, 
you won't have that reward because there's reward that's going to come with that. Yeah. I mean, you can go buy a bag of compost. You, you know, if you if you can't if you can't make your own, then find and source a good place that makes some, because you want to put that into your garden. Yeah, that's fair enough. Yeah, there's a lot of resources now or access to different material, really and truly. You just have to be willing to to be invested into your work to see the the growth of it. But there's so much to actually talk about and discuss about growing and cultivating, as you rightfully said. And I don't think we'll ever be able to fit the decades of experience that you have or the experiences that you have learned from others into one podcast episode. So we will we want to to save save and save for some of the information for our, our next time. But before we yes, we close, there's one thing I just want to find out from from you, which is what is like your favorite part about interacting or growing cannabis? To be honest with you, you know I, I like the final results, um, but I get a lot of satisfaction out of the growth. Um, I get a lot of satisfaction out of seeing the plant grow, change daily. Like if your plant's not changing daily, then then you're mm-hmm. then there's some improvements you need. Uh, because I you know growth. I like seeing growth, I like seeing change, I like seeing it transform from the seed to the beautiful flowers they become that's i get a lot of uh <laughs> yeah it does look much i get a lot of satisfaction out of yeah and, and i and i think it's the the rewards of putting in your efforts you know so that's probably that's probably what you know it's rewarding it's rewarding it's um it's it's uh well you know it can be challenging to keep things alive so to provide life, and uh, I feel in the end, the plant sacrifices its life to provide life for me. So it's uh, it's rewarding. Wow, uh, that that was put like perfectly. Like the plant provides so much for you. So the one of the best things you can really do is just appreciate the transformation from the seed to the end product, all the way down to the consumption. It's all a part part of it. Uh, so, like, I, I really appreciate the all of the information, the knowledge and experience that you have shared. Even in my own growth, whether I'm growing cannabis or not, I definitely would incorporate many of the things that you would have shared to, to me, both of what we shared on air as well as off air, because I, I'm always watching your, your stories and I even have um, Helpful Harry as well on Instagram, so... Like learning from from you guys who have decades of experience being legacy growers and and educators yourself, it's always a pleasure having you all share that information because there are so many people who gatekeep information. So we we really thank you in, in terms of sharing that. But before we we actually close, uh, is there anything that you would like to leave with with the the listeners as to their own cannabis journey or just whatever piece of advice or wisdom you have for them? Um, you know, all I can really uh, think of that can be generalized 
for um, I guess for anybody, but but more so uh, people that are maybe are interested in starting is uh, you're gonna get out of it what you put into it. If that makes sense, like if you go with uh, you get with you know if you go with baked soil, there's nothing wrong with that. Get a good baked soil. Don't cut corners because you'll have problems. A lot of those bags come with bugs. Mm-hmm. If you're going to buy fertilizers, fine. Don't buy fertilizers that are poisoning yourself. You're, you're going to consume this. And people you know are going to consume. Okay. Um, you know, so you, simple, you know, you put, you get out what you put in. That goes back to the rewards. You know, the plant's sacrificing its life for our happiness. So let's try to make the plant happy. And the rewards are greater. So just don't cut corners. I mean, there's ways. If you can't compost, well, there's someone that does. Just go find a good source. Um, you know, there's, uh, the, the, the plant's forgiving. So, you know, let's try to be forgiving as well. You know, love one another. We're in a bad, we're in a time of, we're in a present day time of a lot of turmoil throughout the world. So I tell everybody, be kind. You never know what the next guy's experiencing. And be happy. Grow and be happy. I don't know what else to say. <laughs> no, you said you said enough. That that's that's way more than enough because we need more of that mindset. We need more persons saying and teaching that to others because we already have enough turmoil in, in the world and we don't need any more. So you know, whatever you're doing, yeah. put your best in it because whatever you put in is what you get out. And yeah. that that isn't even applicable to cannabis alone. That's that's life advice. That that's some great life advice. So yeah. I, I think they, they would appreciate that. I appreciate that because I that's something I could use in my own life as well as any other person. So we do thank you for coming and sharing all of your wisdom, all of your knowledge, yes. your experiences with us on the Caribbean Cannabis Channel. has been a pleasure having you, Ray. For those of you who want to find out more about Ray and his growth, you can check him out on Cannabis Hills and learn more about how you could better enhance your growing skills or whatever it is that you're doing centered around cannabis, um, indoor or outdoor. So, Ray, thanks again. And we'll see you on our next episode of the Caribbean Cannabis Channel, everyone. Peace. Yes, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Caribbean Cannabis Channel. Be sure to like and subscribe. You can also follow us on Instagram and Facebook so you don't miss out on any of the exciting news happening across the region. Until next time, remember to meditate and educate.